Good afternoon, NBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and you are listening to the Story Podcast today. I have on a super audience, but before we get into that, please be sure to check out our new website that we have just launched. It is Corey Rosen Productions, C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N Productions. You can find out more about me and the work that I do and the podcast and all of our future guests and events. Today, I have on John Carrots. Yeah, that was pretty good, Corey. Yeah, thanks for having me, Corey. Uh... It was very nice when you reached out to me about this, and uh, I'm very happy to be part of it. It seems like you're doing a really great thing, and uh, kind of uh, after my own heart, since I think uh, what you had first seen me about was my OSH radio station, which I used to do, and I used to do lots of uh, interviews on that and stuff, and travel around and do interviews, and so this is something dear to my heart, other than uh, just doing music, is having a show and doing interviews, and it's fun, and you get to meet lots of great people. Yeah. And speaking of John, he's he's got a start in the public eye on radio back in 1979. And since then, he's had bits and parts in movies and authored books, which can be found on Amazon by just searching his name. John has been in two Hall of Fames and played in plenty of establishments around the country as a bass player or keyboardist in numerous bands. Recently, you found Most Life and Perspective Changing Experience by going to Russia and flying to the edge of space in an MIG-29 fighter jet. Yes, I did do that, and I have to admit I did get sick afterwards. Uh, it, it is kind of funny. They told you you could get sick, and, and I did, but I think he did it to me on purpose. Uh, we did a lot of Gs, of 5.5 Gs, and at the end, he just he's coming in, and he's like, we're not coming in right. So he just cut it and banked it, and we went up to 7.8 Gs, and I threw up. So you lost uh, your legs for a few <laughs> seconds there, right? <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because when you're being compressed, you don't throw up that. You throw up when the pressure comes off. And uh, it was a good experience. I kind of did that. Uh, I find in life, you know, I'm in my early 60s now, and I find when you have a lot of uh, life-changing events, like my dad had just died, and I did have a little money, and you think to yourself, what do you want to do? And you think, well, you know, you realize how short life can be. You you do things like that. And uh, it was interesting. It was a a fun trip. I'd also stopped in uh, Rome and visited the Vatican before I went over to Russia. And so that was nice also. And I, I wasn't there for actual Christmas Christmas, but I was there for Orthodox Christmas, so that, which is the 7th of January. Oh, I see. And uh, while I was in Russia, it was like they were just gearing up for the Olympics that year. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of Olympic stuff going on. So that, that was a nice part, too. Uh, and saying about life-changing things and things you do as adventures, uh, well, after my mother had passed away three years later, uh, I had a hip replacement, which uh, my mother helped finish off, of course, because I was taking care of her, and she was a big woman, and that's hard on you. But I uh, took the new hip, and I hiked to the base camp of Mount Everest six months after the hip surgery. That's wild. And I'm not sure I would go up there again. The high altitude really is a killer. Just even getting to Lhasa, and I went to Himalayan side, and the real reason I did the Himalayan side was and the Tibetan side was, I wanted to go to, I also went to the uh, monasteries and, and visited the temples and saw the temple where the Dalai Lama had been that he got chased out of and stuff. And that was interesting and also kind of disappointing because you'd see a lot of monks on their phones and their iPads. Oh, wow, really? And you'd be like, oh, this isn't exactly what I expected. But I have to admit, there's all kinds of things you can look up on your, your iPads and your phones today. I mean, you can be studying scriptures and be on your phone or your iPad. So right, that's fair. judgment, though, is I, – I don't mean to be judgmental, but it's just 
it was slightly disappointing. But this is 2000. Well, right now it is 2023. So this is how it is today. So, but that, that's why I said there's life things that happen and, and change your life. And uh, sometimes you think about the shortness of life and you try to get things done. And like with the music industry and doing things with entertainment, I keep pushing because life is short and right. you want to get the stuff in you can get, not, not rest on your past laurels, but keep going. So, Going back to the start of your life, then, what was it like to what what got you interested in music? What got you interested in radio? Well, I uh, tell you the truth, when I started uh, playing guitar, I'm I'm actually I will admit I'm actually a bad musician. Okay. I basically play the root. I'm not a real fantastic musician. I get out there and do it, but I keep it basic. And the same thing when I play keyboards, I keep it to the root. And uh, me and my son have had discussions. My son actually is a very good uh, musician, Justin Garrett, and he plays a lot in Philly and stuff. But he says, "Dad, you can't play songs like that." And I say, well, "Yeah, I can, and I have. I mean, with my one band, uh, Seventh Layer, uh, we did uh, rap with with metal behind it, and the concept there was the Seventh Layer of Hell, Dante's Inferno." And one guy would wear face paint that was red, and one guy would do silver face paint. And the actual, it was a, a duality where one was a good devil and one was a bad angel. And so that was kind of the con- the backdrop behind the band. But other than that, we uh, played like the Gathering of the Juggalos and uh, played in front of 29,000 people the one gathering. It was one of those numbers where they weren't sure what the numbers, but the highest number they said was possible twenty nine thousand, and it was very interesting. But going against like what my son says, Dad, you can't do that. I okay. I did do that in front of lots of people. All right. So you've been working with multiple bands, numbers bands. What was one of your favorite bands that you ever got to work with? Well, I used to interview people, like I said, oh, yeah. with interviewing people, and. Uh, some of my favorite people I interviewed were uh, Jerry Only from the Misfits. Really liked Jerry. Uh, very nice. Uh, he he talks about you know they had that split. I know they've been back working together all the parts the the, the Misfits since, but you know he he worried about uh, what signals they were sending out to the public and he he wanted it to be a fun thing and when it got a little bit too dark he didn't like that. And he really liked uh, the young people coming to it and the energy. And uh, he was one of my favorite interviews uh, from interviewing people. Right. And uh, just the fact that he wasn't what you thought. You know, you see the misfits and people think, oh, that's, you know, they're into all kinds of, well, actually he wasn't. And that's kind of why him and the other gentleman kind of had a break there for a little bit because of that. But I think they've been playing some more together again. But he... Talked about the energy in the crowd and loving how you, when you perform, you throw the energy out, and it can. He feel, said it felt like it rolls around in the crowd and it it gathers power and comes back to you and you just feel that and and it, it's just an energy that you cause to grow, and that I really liked that as far as an interview. I liked him talking about that. I've interviewed you know another fun interview I had was to be honest with you. Uh, vanilla Ice and uh, really, I, I liked Vanilla Ice. Uh, uh, Rob and uh, he was fun, but I, I I interviewed Ja Rule one time and that was interesting. But uh, it's it's interesting people. Uh, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tall, I did a phone interview with him. He called me twice and we did that and that was uh, 
I think one of the biggest, I consider him one of the biggest names I did, Ian Anderson, Jeff Latall, because he was, he was big when I was in junior high, you know, right. so. But, uh, you know, that's, it's very interesting. But getting back to your thing about what started me, uh, I started on guitar. My sister took guitar lessons, and she would actually come home and teach me. So that's kind of where I started. And, uh, of course, the Beatles, Elvis Presley, were my big influences. Uh, I was just a little kid when the Beatles first came over, and I remember screaming, I want to hold your hand out the window of the car while we're driving down the street, me and my mom. You know, and, you know, it was fun. Back days, you had to, back in those days, the stereo, the car radios were horrible. You kind of had to turn them up to hear what you were hearing and uh, one big speaker in the front. But those, the, I have to admit that those were my influences. I know today, less and less people are going to come to you and say the Beatles and Elvis. Right. Because uh, some people don't really remember the Beatles and Elvis anymore. It's something different. Uh, more and more people are redoing their songs. I hear more and more redone Beatles songs by other artists, and uh, that's kind of kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what my big first influence was. You know, practicing to play uh, "Hound Dog" on the guitar. You know, you ain't nothing but a hound dog, and yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where my start got. So, you uh, you mentioned your interviews. How was your interview style? How did you come up with that? Did you just say whatever you had on your mind, or? Well, sometimes you have basic questions like, what got you started? How long have you been doing this? Uh, Call me out. Yeah. Who are your biggest influences? <laughs> right. Uh, where was your favorite gig or performance? Because I, w- I would also uh, interview uh, comedians, too. Okay. And you basically kind of stay to the same format. Right. Because, oh, I wasn't calling you out. I mean, but that is well, the that is format. The truth. Yeah, that's the truth. You know, well, who were your things? And, you know, like I came in here and, you, like you said, I started uh, – in radio in 79, 79, I started a college radio, and that's where we are now. And this is a very nice studio. Uh, I mentioned to you about the fact that at, at the time it was a cable radio station. Yes. You're like, what's a cable radio station? What is a cable radio and, station? And uh, back then, cable, like the kind that your your uh, your channels came over, like your... Like TV radio. I don't know what they have here. Comcast. Comcast okay, is yeah, the big yeah. one now. Well, back, I'm from the Lehigh Valley. You have Service Electric and Twin County back then. And behind the TV shows was also a signal for sound and, and music. And there were radio stations that were just on cable. So you'd hook the cable up to your big tuner. Back then, radios and stuff would have big tuners with tubes in them. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> And and then you get some stations that you couldn't get otherwise, and that's how the, the station started out like that. Now today, the, it's, it's it was Lehigh County Community College out of uh, well now it's Lehigh Carbon Community College out of uh, Schnecksville, Pennsylvania, and now they are a real radio station. They broadcast on the air. They don't do cable radio anymore, so they they have moved up. But uh, that's where I got my start. I had a lot of fun. I used to like to sometimes when I was doing my show. Uh, It'd be poor, it would be like five inches of snow outside, and I'd say, possible chance of flurries tonight. You know, and you, you just have to screw with people a little bit every so often. But right. it, was, it was fun, but you, had to, you, know, you also had to watch what you played for music. Now, we didn't have – we just had restrictions like we had what we had in there to play. We had all the albums, and you actually played records, and you would uh, – set them up and you'd have to backspin the album just to like a quarter turn, half turn to make it 
you know, segue with the next one right. We had tapes for the ads you had to run. and It was just a, a, a different world back then. You didn't queue it up in a computer. You actually had two turntables, and you'd have to watch. I have to admit, I used to like to cheat. I don't know if anybody out there remembers. There used to be a thing called KTEL. You'd buy the KTEL album, and it would be like a nice – it was sort of like now, those uh, – uh, 2000 uh, winter now or whatever they had the best music now albums you ever see those cds okay yeah yeah, yeah. it was kind of like that and it was like ktel albums and i'd get those like ktel love songs ktel right. rock and roll songs and it would be two sides of an album with perfect segues and great songs and i'd actually cheat sometimes to play those because you could you didn't have to worry about your segues as much and stuff and making it match up but yeah that was i got my start doing that and uh that was very much enjoyable. I mean, uh, and playing some music now and then. And I actually didn't do much for a little while there. And then I had kids. And I mean, if you every time you talk to people that are a little older, you, there's kind of the kid years where you get married, you raise your kids, and kind of for a certain amount of your life, it's about the kids. And a lot of your hobbies kind of fall the, the way. And then uh, my son got interested, like in junior high and stuff. And playing guitar, and my daughter got interested in playing bass, and I was uh, paying for their lessons, but when they couldn't make their lessons, then I would go and sit in, and uh, that gentleman passed away. I can't think of his name right now. He he used to play a lot of times with Joan Jett, and uh, they used to have an argument about who was the better guitar player, and she'd say, yeah, you're the better guitar player. She said, but they're not coming to see you. They're coming to see me, and that's, that's a point yeah. with music, too. I always say, you know, you have to be likable. Doesn't matter how great you are, people have to find you likable. But uh, yeah, so that kind of got me the buzz back into me, and uh, I started putting together a couple bands that didn't make it, and then a couple bands that did make it, and I did a country band for a while that uh, we got a, we get made a, a good amount of money, uh, but I don't know, I don't know how how uh, satisfying it was. Mm. It was me, basically it was me on bass and a gentleman that sang and he did the rhythm guitar. And sometimes we'd play just me on bass and him on rhythm guitar. And if we did bigger gigs, we would hire drummers and lead guitarists if we needed them. Like for an intermediate gig, we'd hire a guitar, a drummer. And then for a big gig, we'd hire a drummer and a lead guitarist. And that worked pretty good for us. And then what really did the, was the downfall of the band downfall of the band was we tried to get full-time bass uh, lead guitarist and drummer and uh, everybody comes in and it's like everything somebody comes in they have a new idea they want to change it basically then everybody changes it around then those people leave right. because the you know and to be honest like I said I'm not a good musician I'm just a basic musician and uh, they'd complain about that, but I'd be the one that'd be out there, and I'd get the gigs, and I'd, I'd push us, and you'd be the go-getter. I'd be the go-getter, and they'd be the, the band. people that wanted to say how everything should be done, but not really want to do anything. Right. So that kind of fell uh, fell behind, and then I did some. I'd run some open mics at local clubs, and this is like in the late '90s and the early uh, 2000s, and you f- ran into more and more people. And, like, I ran into uh, the Mal Havoc he goes by. 
uh, and he did. Uh, he started the seventh layer thing, and then uh, I got involved with. Uh, used to be a website called Harrisburg Online. Got involved with them, and then got involved with uh, uh, Old Schoolhouse Radio, which at the time was run by different people. And and uh, Harrisburg Online guy did uh, a show there, and then Mal Habit got to do a show there too, who I knew, and then I got doing a show there. And it got to the point where I was doing a lot of stuff for them, and I was going out and doing the press, and I was doing, uh, going out and talking at conferences for them. And eventually, when the gentleman, the people that had been running it decided to retire, they kind of turned it over to me. Mm. And uh, it was old schoolhouse because we had, uh, we were in a studio in an old schoolhouse in Cumberland, which was owned by the the people that backed it. And I moved it then from there briefly to my house and then briefly from my house up to Liverpool to a place called The Factory, which had sporting events and everything. And I had a studio in the back of that. And when Liverpool, Pennsylvania had their 2000 bicentennial, we had... Uh, the Wait, do you still have those? <laughs> Sorry, it's clicking my head. It was a, well. The bicentennials were a big thing, the right? 19, yeah, 17, like nineteen seventy six, but yeah. They, then they did, but they had the Fab Four come in from Liverpool, New York, which was a Beatle band, right? And we actually had Pete Best come over from Liverpool, England, who was, if anybody knows, was the original drummer for the Beatles. For the Beatles, yeah. So I got to do a great interview with him. That's really cool, and, and that was fantastic. And and they performed there and. You know, and then eventually, to be honest with you, Liverpool did not work out for having a studio there. Liverpool is a half hour at the best up the river from Harrisburg. And you found people didn't really want to come up there. Right, of course. So there for a while, we went back to uh, Mal Havoc's house, actually. And during this time, we started doing the seventh layer stuff more. And I started, we did a lot of gigs with seventh layer. And we actually had a record deal for a year with Island Combat of uh, New York and Long Island. And that didn't go too well, if everybody knows. Uh, we talked earlier before we were uh, talking about the contracts and how you feel when you're a writer and you deal with other people. And between the band writing their music and, and what the record label wanted, there was a lot of uh, cat fights to be nice about it. But... Uh, I mean, some things were ridiculous. They wanted us to wear New York's team stuff. And we're like, well, at the most, we should wear Philly stuff because we're from Pennsylvania. Right. Not New York stuff. We got signed at the same weekend. We par- played a private party at the producer's house. And uh, Keith Richards, uh, not Keith Richards, Keith, uh, Keith Murray's brother, Fish Grease Murray. Keith Murray was a rapper that was well-known. His brother got signed at the same time. They had all kinds of trouble with him and Keith, which Keith jumped around from Mercury Labels because he was trouble. So after they lost him and they were putting us in this new subcategory that they were doing, they wanted us to become less crossover metal hip-hop and more hip-hop-ish, which gave us trouble. And like I said, we played things like Gatherings of Jugglers and stuff. So some of our songs were... Horror. Now, horror is different. The record label viewed us as Halloweeny. They called us. Said we don't like this Halloweeny stuff. And we're like, well, our fans. We need at least one 
Halloweeny song on right. the album. So that, that that's you know you have trouble with that. So that's kind of uh, where that led. And then with the studio's death, we kind of w- I went to doing podcasts for OSH Radio and doing a website. And uh, I would put new music up. People would send me and have it play automatically, rotate and play online with Flash players. As you know, Flash players went Which, went away yep. a few years ago. So that killed a lot of my uh, activity on the website that I had planned in there. And uh, so recently how you came across me was the the founder originally came to me and said, hey, what do you want to do with the OSH radio? I saw it just went went off. And I'm like, oh, I got to check on that. It was a problem with the bill. And he says, well, I could use it if you don't want to use it. I said, no, I really want to have it redone. So actually, I went and I paid uh, someone to redo the website. And here was the ad that you saw me through in PA Musician. Yeah. And uh, where I revamped OSH Radio now to be a music and entertainment news station. And the articles change on their own. I don't really have to do a lot to it, but daily the articles change. There's different pages and different videos and different music and, and updates you on entertainment news. So right now, OSH Radio has morphed into entertainment news and uh, yeah, music and entertainment news, which I think a lot of, I don't think the day when people would always want to be interactive with the online internet radio stations has kind of changed. Right. Podcasts and stuff have become a little bit bigger doing longer podcasts and stuff, and it's kind of morphed, and the industry has morphed. So that's kind of where OSH Radio has turned into and how you found about me, uh, found me about. Uh, and I used to write, too. Like I said, I used to do interviews like you do. And I used to write articles for different magazines. And and I've kind of taken control of the situation here. So I'm sorry, oh, Corey. I got uh, it. Well, as you know, a good interview is 80% the interview. The person talking, talker, yeah. yeah. yeah I so. used to, my total dislike for an interview was when you get a guy and he says, Oh, this is going to be a great interview. I really like to talk. And, and then you go, oh. and then you go to interview him, and you hear crickets. That's I've had that happen a few times. So it it, it is fun. interesting, and uh, I one of the magazines I used to write for was so, yeah. PA Musician. So I will plug them absolutely. And uh, I've been on the cover twice over the past couple of years. Here I am with Joey Wells, who I have written a number of songs with. He runs. Uh, Canadian American Records, and he was the keyboardist for Bill Haley and the Comets. So that was it's fun doing work with a rock legend, and uh, catch some of our music, the stuff with Joey Wells and Crazy John. I just have Crazy John on there, but we have a bunch of stuff out there, so that's nice. And I've uh, also been on the cover of PA Musician for uh, again. I had gotten a Grammy nomination for one of the songs me and Joey did. Oh wow! And, that's awesome. Uh, it's funny though, you know, you go from. Uh, at one time doing uh, rap metal to now doing country, country. but it's funny because I was in a country band before the... the it was like full circle. And the other thing I've done, like you know, I said, uh, entertainment entrepreneur, uh, is uh, back some Elvis impersonators. And this one, the one I've been lately back in has been uh, Brad Crumb, great guy from uh, Upper Pennsylvania, Upper Above Harrisburg. It's uh, rememberelvis.com, and I have... Uh, 
played his, uh, I play his with my hat on, and uh, I have a cigar that I don't smoke, but I'm become uh, his Colonel Parker. And I've gotten myself one of those uh, papers from Tennessee that uh, says I'm a, a Tennessee colonel. Except I have to admit, mine doesn't have the seal on it, but I still have the paper. You right, know, as but long it's as not the paper. sealed. Yeah, uh, so that's some of the fun stuff I've done writing and stuff and uh, interviewing some people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's great just to stay active. And I do, I've converted some of this stuff into, like I said, there's a new movie coming out that we're just working on now called Desert Fiends. And it is, uh, I say I'm involved in a lot of interesting movie projects. They're not, not even sure they're B movies, maybe C and D, but they're fun to work on. And uh, this is the second one that I'm having some of my music on. I did a song for him called uh, Desert Fiend Slasher. And and uh, the backtrack to it, my son did, and uh, like I said, he's Justin Carrots. You can look him up. Same last name, plays in Philly. So yeah, it's nice to have him work with me too, because everybody knows father and son things are kind of rough, right? You know. So, but I've gotten into working on the movies. Sometimes I'm just a producer, and that's a fun thing. It's nice to have your hands in things and have a creative edge and be creating. And. Uh, I've done karate since I was a kid too, and one, one of the reason I mention that is we have to laugh because we were out in L.A. Uh, actually, not L.A. San Diego last week, and I met with one of my Kempo instructors who had had been with Elvis and Elvis's people through Ed Parker, who was Elvis's instructor and bodyguard, and uh, he goes out and does Elvis impersonations and gets up and sings and. And another friend of mine that's in martial arts, you know, does band and sings. And it's funny because it's a certain kind of personality type. You like getting up in front of people. You're not afraid to get up in front of people. And you kind of, uh, and it's creative. Right. You know, you have a creative influence. And it's fun. I would hope myself, I've written some books and all kinds of things that are on Amazon. You can look at them. Uh, But uh, even there's an autobiography out there. And, uh. You know, you hope something you do someday might hit, and then maybe you'll go back. People go back and look at the other stuff, and have an interest in it. Right. But you don't know. But you know, you're out there creating, and you're you're doing things, and you're kind of leaving a legacy for your family and maybe for your friends of who you were and what you did. And earlier we talked about uh, before we were on about uh, you know. Uh, transhumanist and living forever and stuff. And I think uh, you could live forever through your creations, through right. your, your art, yeah. through your writing, through your... Through you being you. <coughs> through you being you and your music. You you leave it out there, and that's a that's a form of immortality. It's probably the best form of immortality. Yeah. You know, because that really is you, and... Uh, it can't be tarnished, or it's just the air. Well, we had talked... About, you know, if, if you talk about those people that say about becoming robots and stuff and becoming a machine. And, and you talk about where is the soul. and But your soul is in your work. Right. You do put your soul in your work. Right, I know absolutely. my soul is in my work. It's in my, my bad songs. It's in my bad books. It's in, but, you know, if there's something that cut, touches a chord with somebody or something. Uh, I do have a kid's book I really do like that's out there that is... Uh, you know, dream it, do it. 
And, uh, you know, I mentioned there about going to space and about uh, going to Mount Everest and and uh, and even going shark cage diving because I've done that. And it's like, you know, the things you do, you dream about as a kid, you can make happen. Can and no matter what people tell you. And I'm the kind of person that people say about bullying being bad for people. And I think in my life, when people have picked on me, like when I was littler, I think that's helped push me to do things. Yeah, that that is a that is a controversial opinion that I hold as well. A little bit of bullying can go a long way. Well, I had a lot of bullying, but that's oh, yeah, beside right. the point. But that's I do think point. it it pushed me. But it's it's a it's a different personality. Some people react the total opposite way to it. Some people right. can take it and use it, it as a uh, use it as a force to help them, and others use it the other direction. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and. I will say this: bullying, you know, for better or for worse, it you ha- you you can take it or leave it, right? Doesn't matter what anybody else says about you, right? You can do whatever you want. <coughs> and sometimes you got to realize, it, but it's easier for you to say this in hindsight, right? A lot of times, people bully you a lot of times because there might be something about you that they'd like to do that they're not doing, right? And it, it's not necessarily about you, or they're getting they have their own problems at home and something trying right. to get out of them. Uh, so don't ever take invalid criticism to heart. That's what that's what I do. I don't take it to heart. Sometimes I do take it to heart, and it it, it works out bad for me. So I just continue not to take it to heart. Well, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should. should always, you should say I'm going to prove them wrong. Exactly. That's exactly right. I'm going to show you what I can do, and take it that way. Take it as a motivation, not take it as as a uh, as a cut. I had a friend whose dad didn't want him to hang out with me because he thought I was weird. <laughs> and later in life, uh, two of his friends that his dad thought he should be like got in all kinds of trouble. We won't say. I mean, really bad trouble. And then all of a sudden, his dad was like, oh, you should be more like John. He has a good job and kids in the house. And it's like, boy, how'd that change, you know? Yeah, right. But uh, so it's it's interesting. And uh, the thing about that 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 hurts with it being that person saying it, he actually was quite a successful person. But it was funny how it turned around, you know? So you never know. So don't, you know, and... You senior, well, you're only early twenties, but how long have you been out of high school? Uh, oh, uh, graduated twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen, so six years about. Well, did you go to your five year reunion? Uh, we didn't have one actually. Okay, oh, <laughs> so. sorry. About but sometimes already, like at your five year reunion, you're shocked at how people have changed in high school. Oh, I'm sure. I I am already shocked of how some some people are married and have kids. I'm like, oh. Or you see them. somebody that was quite successful in high school, and all and of a sudden not. they're not. Yes. Or the total opposite. Oh yeah. The person that you thought was nobody paid attention to were all of a sudden the successful. Out. Yeah. You know, so you know that's that's another example of that. So you have some of your own music that you've written. We have some of that to share with that. So you want to go on about that? We have Cedar St. Blues. Which one was that? Cedar oh, that's Street just a, that's just a uh, just a, a soundtrack. That's something me and my uh, son worked on. You could play that. I'm working presently on doing the lyrics for that. And uh, it's, what's, the, what's the title you have down there? Cedar, Cedar Street Blues? Or? Cedar Street Blues. Cedar Street is actually, East Cedar Street is where I w- lived from being four on or three on till I 
So my parents died, and I sold that house after their deaths because nobody wanted to go to it. So that's that's what that that song's going to be back. And this you you can play that. That is just the beginning of it. We have the blues starting out, and I'm right now working on putting the lyrics to it. So this is just the music. So it's really funny that you have this this music, but you consider yourself more of a lyricist. Tell me what it's what it's like to be on uh, uh, be a lyricist. Why do you choose that route? Well, I was saying it's uh, probably because I have more the gift of gab, and I'm not as good at music as I'd like to be. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm a basic musician, 
Uh, you know, we one time j- uh, joked for seventh layer that I was a grinder monkey, and uh, it, it's kind of what I am. And, and I, I, you know, like when I worked, like I said, well, I had that country thing, and the the main guy was a singer and a and a rhythm guitarist, and was great with us because I would just watch him play, and I could see what notes. Because a lot of country is uh, GCD is what right, he played a lot, so I could just see him doing it, and those that's what I would hit GCD. Three chords. So great. And to this day, my, my dabbling on the guitar is usually uh, ADE. Okay, right. Which you use for the blues. You know, I do a little, I do a little sk- skip myself where I go from, uh, I call it Beautiful Woman, but it was, uh, I can't think of the name of the song, though. It's, uh, it's an old song, but it's GCD. Uh, GC, I'm sorry, ADE. And then I go from that into... Wild Thing. It's Wild Thing I base it on. I call it Beautiful Woman, but it's based on Wild Thing, which you can do in A-D-E. Right. And then I go from that song into Love Me Tender. But it's not really Love Me Tender. It's kind of my own version of Love Me Tender, which is also uh, A-D-E. You can play that in. So A-D-E is kind of my where I like to be on the guitar. Cause, you like Chuck Berry a lot. <laughs> well, I do like Chuck Berry. And it's funny to me because there's a bunch of songs that follow that that ADE, which is actually the basic right. blues you can use it for. So I kind of like to stick to that. But uh, lyrics I like, I like poetry. When I was a kid, Robert Frost was a favorite favorite poet of mine. And yeah. uh, Whose Woodsies Are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. So one of my songs, I forget which it was, I actually do do a homage to him. In the lyrics, I kind of switch it around a little bit, but if you know I like that, you know what I'm talking about in it. So I have thrown that in there a little bit. And, of course, you can't take the words for say. No, of course. But if you hear it you, and you know I like Robert Frost, you know that, that – oh, I know which one that is. Uh, do you have the one uh, – do you have the blues man? I do have the blues man. We'll play that then. I think that's the one that I mentioned that in. And uh, that that's an interesting one because I wrote the lyrics, and actually I, I'm uh, – on a producer on his album. And one of the deals was I, I gave him money towards producing producing and stuff, and then he did put music behind and sang and sang for me on it. And uh, it got to be a production that his his main producer actually liked it, and they were supposed to be putting on the main album. Now, I haven't seen the main album yet because, like I said, he's an Englishman in Tokyo. <laughs> so, but... Uh, I, I do put that in there. And and the thing about writing lyrics, too, is you can write about different things you care about and interest you. Like, I have a song out there called uh, I Love You, But You Have to Get Out of My Way. And actually, you think, what's that about? I'll tell you what it's about. Who here? Now, we have another gentleman in here uh, observing, but uh, any of you guys have dogs? I do not. I have had a dog once. You have had a dog? Yes. Actually, my song, I Love You, But You Gotta Get Out of My Way, is actually about the dog. Because you're, like, doing things, and your dog loves you. Right. But your dog's in the way, and you're trying to do stuff. And and it's a song, I Love You, But You Gotta Get Out of My Way. Now, I have to admit, that's one of those songs that I, I've done some writing with Joey, and I give him lyrics, and he changes it. And his version of the song was, I love you, but you gotta get out of my life. I told him what it was about. About, but you know it changes. People see different things in your lyrics, and as we've said earlier, that's what the band uh, Seventh Layer kind of had a problem when we had a record deal with 
Island Palm. It's, you know, you, you give your lyrics over to somebody, and even if they change the lyrics only 25%, sometimes it can kind of change the meaning. Right. So a song that was really about the dog kind of became a love song then through Joey's version of it. And uh, it can change. But, like, I base things on the dog. Right. You know, different things give you different ideas. Uh, the song that I did for uh, the new movie Desert Fiends that I'm working on, I kind of based the idea of that off of that Firestarter song. Mm. Now, it didn't turn out anything like Firestarter. Right. But that was kind of the concept behind it. And concept that my son did the backing track for me, and that was where that came from. I'm like, I want something that has this feel, but I don't want it to be that, but I want it to have that feel. Of course. So instead of being a Firestarter, um, the Desert Fiend uh, slasher, you know, horror slasher, Desert Fiend horror slasher, instead of being a Firestarter. So you see, kind of, you kind of see where it kind of carries over, but you kind of like think about this stuff, and it's really interesting uh, because I'm working on movies too, where someone, uh, the producer, gives you a reference track. For example, for example, on this past one, I was given. A, have you ever seen Soul by Pixar? Mm-hmm. He was giving me. He gave me the Epiphany track, the one where he looks back on his life on the day and the memories, and it's the tearjerker piece, right? That every Pixar movie has to have. <laughs> and he gave me that. He said, I want that. That's what I want. And, uh, of course, you can't have that. That's already been done. So you have to create your own version of that. And I assume that's what that's what you're talking about. Right. I wanted something with the feel, but not the same thing. Right. But with the feel. So that's where I had my idea from. So sometimes you get it from kicking the dog when you don't mean to. I mean, not kicking the dog, but you're trying to get move around the kitchen. You end Step up, on the dog's tail you end up like, hitting the dog and you don't mean to. It's like, I love you, but you got to get out of my way. It's like, ooh, that's a good song. Because how often do you feel like that with people? I mean, with kids, I mean, uh, you yeah. feel that way with your own kids. You feel that with, with your loved one. You feel that with, well, maybe people at work you don't love, but you right. might like them, but they got to get out of your way because you're trying to work on something. You know, so, you know, different things and... uh Different things motivate you for different songs. I did that. Uh, I showed you that one. Though I, well, I sent you two Christian songs for maybe we could work on lyrics. But the one I worked on was I did that song Easter that I did, and then Resurrection that me and Joey Wells did, and that's just based on Easter and what Easter is about about the resurrection. So you have that idea. My song turned out like a sermon, which I don't think is bad. People seem to like it. The sermons are okay. Maybe that's what I should do instead. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so it's interesting what sometimes what can motivate you for songs. I also just did a Christmas train song, and that was a bluesy song. I did a song based on riding motorcycles because I've ridden motorcycles since the early 70s. And uh, you know, I like bluesy songs. i got to try and think of more bluesy things. I did a song one time. I think the one to song me and Joey did first was uh, No Vacation Blues. It was just about the fact of working a lot, not getting breaks. Now, I have to admit, I do like to take vacations. My one boss said, this can't be you because you take vacations. I said, yeah, but you still feel like you need to get away and take vacations. I'm sorry. I work a lot. I've always worked more than one job. And then you're like, oh, I need to take a vacation. But to me, that's what you do. You work so you can go blow your money and do things. Right. So you can enjoy life. Life is short. Uh, so that motivates you. 
a lot of things motivate you. And and talking about like working on projects with my son, uh, sometimes I I've listened to some of his lyrics and it makes you think of where his mind was at too. And since he's my son, I can kind of see, I can see his lyrics and stuff, right. you know. And like he has a song like he, the the Cedar Street Blues, and I said, yeah, well, I'm working on the lyrics now. That was just the music that me and him, you know, my told him my idea and he put did the music, but. He's had some songs where it mentions like uh, my parents, his grandparents, you know, in those days, and that you know that's moving to me because it's something that came from his feelings, but it is something I feel too because we're son and father, right? And you can see that in his writing, and that, that's kind of interesting. Of course, I did notice in one of his songs uh, some busts on me, so you know it's like oh he made it has this lyrics where like he was always. He was always there, but not really. And it's like, ooh. But I understand. Ooh. I can understand being a kid, though, how you feel that way. Right, of course. You know, as people even feel that way in relationships. You know, you feel the person's there, but are they really there? Because people get caught up in their own stuff. And I have to admit, when my the end of my kids, me and my ex broke up at the end of uh, my daughter getting out of high school. And I have to admit, me and the band were big and busy. Big and busy during the end of my daughter's high school and, and some of my sons were a couple years apart. But some of that's because when I was younger and I was involved in martial arts films, I was offered to travel and work on some okay martial arts movies. Like one guy I worked with who's out of Lancaster, actually, Keith Strandberg. He's still down here. Last I know he's working on Watch, a Watch magazine he's writing for. But he did No Surrender, No Retreat movies. And the first one was... The first movie that Jean Claude Van Damme was in. Oh wow! So I worked on some movies with him, and he was like, "Oh, could you travel?" And I was like, "At that time, I did not because I had a wife and little kids, and it was because I didn't want to leave my little kids." Right. So later on, when I had the chance to travel and do a lot with the band and the band contract, it's like my kids were older, and I was like, "No, now's the time I have the opportunity." But I think sometimes family. Feels you neglect them, but yeah, they were, you know, I think kids always feel you neglect them, right? But, of course, but it comes at pat a time in in life where they start going their way and you start going your way. But that's another thing to make songs about <laughs> those feelings that you have too. And I mean, I have probably some songs coming out about having a grandson. I have a grandchild now, and you know, he's uh, the light of my life now, which is kind of cute. And uh, I had had a stroke a year and a half ago and lost the left side of my body. So he was just like six months old. And it was a weird feeling because I felt like like he was my replacement. Like I was on the way out and he was on the way in. And mm. that you can feel that way when you get older too. That's uh, But all these things and these feelings are things to motivate you to write and to, to write things and to put into words. And I think that's the thing with lyrics. But I think I think you can do that with music if you're good though too. But I'm not... I'm not good like that at music. I wish I was. I wish I could be one of those people that could just hear it and want to play it or could just take off and, and, and do things. And that, that's not my ability. My ability is words. So, you know, I write things, I get ideas, I massage it, you know, and sometimes you change it. And I'll have to admit, sometimes when I put music to it, sometimes the way I have the song written is not the way it ends up. Because you're going through with the music, and even if I do blues and you kind of talk through it, 
And because I, I saw there's one station that re, uh, rates things on Spotify, and one of the categories is talkativeness because of people that talk in a song. And I mind kind of sometimes I talk to a song. Sometimes that's okay. Yeah, but sometimes how you write the lyrics is not how it ends up. Right. Because you're like, oh, this doesn't really work. It doesn't go with the sound I want. It doesn't go with the length. You know, like that horror one I was worked on. I just I just did. Uh, uh, Fiend, a desert fiend slasher is what the song I called it. And at first I had it that I laughed through it. Because there's a, because like in uh, Firestarter, there's places where he goes like, hey, 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 and stuff. And and I thought of that as laughing and it didn't work. So I didn't put the laughing in anymore. And actually what I do is I, I trail off at the end with laughter. You know, ha, 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 ha. Right, well, you know, but that comes across good because in the beginning you're talking about being a slasher and a fiend and, you know, and pain and, and stuff. And uh, so you change sometimes as you add the lyrics. Lyrics will massage a little bit. So how do you find the right person to write the music? That's rough. I've been using my son. I had some old tracks that me and the guys had done years ago that I had and. Now I'm using. My, I wanted to use my son, and I'm glad that he's at a point where he's interested in doing that. Because I mean, not everybody wants to be involved in your project, right? Of course. But it, it's nice. But uh, so yeah, the one I did, like I said, the one, the song that you have there, and you can play in a little bit with uh, Kev Gray. Like I was a producer on his his album. Got involved with his album, and I did it with the deal that he would do a track for me. So if you want to play that and hear it, and that yeah. is, I, I believe in one of those tracks that is kind of about my life, not exactly, but it kind of, you know, I talk about my mother in there, which is kind of, you know, your mother, that's the other thing too. I talk about my mother loving me and, you know, and people say, well, did she really love you real good? I say, well, you got to also realize too is your parents love you to the best of their ability. Of they're, they're not perfect either. Right. So you can say, oh, well, she was, you could say somebody I don't know, either one you have trouble with your mother, your your brother, your dad, your your uncle, your grandfather. And you say, eh, yeah, but but you don't know what he's gone through in his life. And so you take that into account when you write the music too. But I think that's the song that the one lyrics you hear about the the it's the that gives a nod to Robert Frost. Well that said, this is Blues Man by mm-hmm. John Kerr. Lyr- Walking down all those dirty back streets Never had nothing, no fancy sheets I finally think I got something Someone says, you got nothing coming I'm the blues man Yeah, I'm the blues man Why, I'm the blues man Why, I should do man I kick that tin can wherever I can Blues man, I got everything hard way. My life has been such a long day. Never will I stand and cry while my eyes are looking to the sky. The blues man, yeah, I'm the blues man, yeah, I'm the blues man. Why I should do man? I kick that tin can wherever I am, the blues man. 
Yes, the lyrics were by me. I did not actually put any vocals to that, but that that is, I have to admit, that is how I would have liked that song to have been. You know, we talked about your vision of a song. Right. And how you write songs and people get a hold of your lyrics, and it's not necessarily your vision. And sometimes you're like, ooh, I'm not really happy with that song. And it doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just not necessarily your vision of the song. Right. And being an artist, you know, you create things and you're like, oh, your vision. But you have to kind of let go of it. I have to realize, like, I say I make a lot of garbage. It's not necessarily garbage, but it's not always what I'd like it to be. And But yet, I don't think you should fester on everything always being as perfect as you'd like it because then you never get anything done. I hate right. to say it. You have to, you have to call the ends. You have to make an end point with things. Because if you always are like, oh, I want it to be just a little bit better, just a little bit better. And to tell you the truth, you'd never get anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's, I, I hate to say that, but that's why I think some artists, I think there's a lot of great artists out there that don't get anywhere just because of their own obsessions. And, and well, some of them may be lack of motivation. But I, I used to joke that there's the artists, too, that sit in their bathroom playing their guitar while on the toilet, and they wait for somebody to drive by and hear the music and discover them while they're in their bathroom on the toilet playing the guitar. Like, like what's really the, the what point. are you really doing to get out there? Right. You could be the best performer in your bathroom. But if you don't get out there, what does it, you don't, it, it doesn't matter as much. And I don't mean that to be mean, but I even saw that in, in school, in college and in high school. You see athletes, too, that are great athletes, but they're not necessarily the ones that make it to the pros because they lose drive or they just don't push or they give up. I mean, so sometimes that is the more important thing than being the best musician or, or music writer is having the drive and keeping going. Like I said, the gift of gap. Right. Sometimes that can be more important than being a perfect musician. Yeah, you got to be able to go somewhere to get somewhere. And you have to be likable. I think I might yeah. have said that yeah, earlier. Yeah, you did, yeah. You have to be likable. People have to like you. And it doesn't how you don't have to have the perfect voice. But if they don't like you, if there's something that doesn't come across, it's not like, genuine. Oh, I really that that's like, you know, uh, a comedian. I said I used to interview comedians too. And comedians said the best comedians are one that write about their own life. Their jokes are about their life. And that's the same as I was saying about the, you know, writing music about things that happen in your life. Like even the dog, the dog being in your way. You know, it, you put your emotions into it. And then that comes across and it, it makes a connection. I mean, now there are artists, I mean, there, in the old days, a lot of artists didn't necessarily write the music. And I know, like, uh, Co, I think his name's Co, 
Co, the famous Co guy, wrote some music with and for like Kid Rock. So they were both at the time fathers that were single fathers taking care of the kids, and they actually had a sing a similar reality. That meant that the song that uh, I think Co wrote it for Kid Rock. Uh, he knew what what Kid Rock was experiencing. So that was a song, though, though, even though Kid Rock didn't write it, it could come across with the authenticity and the feelings because it was something he felt. So I think that's important. I was off on a tangent there. Sorry. No, it's okay. So uh, obviously that, that kind of ties into one of my questions. What is one of the best pieces of advice that uh, you could give to someone who's trying to make it? I'd say the best advice is to just go out there and keep doing it. Right. And don't worry about people turning you down. Call places, send emails, send texts, pester people. I mean, you can, uh, uh, I'll remember something that I got a reference from uh, one of my professors in college. He wrote a reference. He said that I was, he said, John is pleasantly aggressive. Uh, I said to him, does that mean I'm a pain in the A, but I'm relatively nice about it? He says, yeah, basically that's it. He says, you're pleasantly aggressive. And I think you have to try and be pleasantly aggressive and and don't give up. Right. Because <clears throat> sometimes I hate to say it, it's a numbers game. It is. You and keep messaging people, and you, you know, because not everybody's gonna like your stuff. Like I, I admitted, there's some of my songs are out there, and I don't think they're that good. But there's somebody listening to them. So I myself have a rough voice, but there's people out there that like a rough voice. And you, you gotta you gotta you step away from your art, right? Sometimes. And some people like it or listen to it and go, oh, that's okay. And you're like, oh, uh, you know, and you're yeah, right. But keep keep pushing and, and, you know, don't be afraid to do anything too little. That's the other thing, too. Don't be afraid to do anything too little because you don't know who you're going to meet and what that leads to. And, you know, me and the band there one time, we got uh, Dracula Wine as our backers because we did, I was talking about Seventh Layer and, uh, we were wrapped with metal, and we got Dracula Wine to back us. And we ended up playing this book opening for this one vampire book artist in Philly. And Dracula Wine was back in that, and we got put up in a nice hotel. We played this nice uh, blues place where they fed us steak and shrimp before dinner. And you know, people laughed, oh, you're getting Dracula Wine as your backer. It's like, but that... It worked out very nice. So you don't you don't know where that's going to come from. You don't right. know what's going to happen. Actually, the wine company folded, but that's beside the point. <laughs> it was one of the times we were actually treated the nicest. And you don't know. We traveled and did a tour across the country one time, and some of the gigs you thought were going to be the best. Like, we played a, ba- a, dig, uh, a dive in, in Vegas, which was a dive in Vegas. And it was what it was. <coughs> Sorry, I'm getting a little sore throat. But then we... Uh, Played a big gig that was supposed to be on Sunset Strip in uh, in uh, L.A., which was at the, the Dragonfly Club, which I don't even know if it's still around. And that turned into a, a fiasco. The guy promoting was out in his limo partying. We got to only play, like, one song. And we played with uh, Bionic, J- Bionic Jive. I think that's what they're called. But... Uh, Play with them, and then we went right after that to play a gig in Phoenix. And we got this place into this little strip mall place, big enough to have one pool table in it and a little bar and this Philly stage. And we're like, "Oh man, we're we're doomed. 
you know, we, we barely got any money out of this, this trip, and it was horrible. And the one that was supposed to be big with all these famous people at it was just didn't, uh, work. didn't work at all. And uh, that one in Hollywood was one of those ones with all the bags, you know, how people get all the bags with all the things in it and stuff, right. you know. So it was supposed to be a big block, big people there that were like maybe two out of 20 big people that were supposed to be there. But we got this little dive, and when it got to be time, they opened up all the doors, put tables out in the parking lot. All these people were there, and we got to play, and we walked away with like 500 bucks that night. We're like, what happened? <laughs> you know, so sometimes you don't know. I mean, the other, we, well, the one we knew was a dive, the one we expected to be great, and the one that looked like it was going to be the worst was the best. Actually turned out to be the best. You know, in Phoenix, they opened up the doors. People were sitting in the parking lot. We moved chairs out there and tables out there, and it turned out to be a great time. And you you, you don't know. You just don't know. That goes to show. Just play your heart out, no matter where you are. So we actually ended up coming back with some money in our pocket. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, this has been a lo- lovely time. Where can people find you and, and stuff you do? Well, I like to hide. But no, no. I mean, they can find, uh, they can message me through Facebook at, uh, I guess, what is it? Crazy John Carrots or John Carrots? You can look me up as Crazy John Carrots or John Carrots, depending whether it's Facebook or it's uh, Instagram or anything. And you got your OSH Radio? OSH Radio. uh, And I guess you got a hold of me through Facebook. Yeah. So that's the best way to get a hold of me anymore. I'm really not that hard to get a hold of. Probably my phone number is probably even out there. Um, so, and, and these days you can call through Facebook. And a lot of people don't always realize that, but you can, you get you these weird, that. these interesting Facebook codes. But I'd recommend uh, reach out to me that way if you're interested. I mean, I'm interested in doing projects with people. I can write lyrics for people. I, I gave uh, you yourself, Corey, some lyrics to see what you might want to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm always interested in, uh, I can still write some articles on people if they're interested too. I mean, I haven't done that a lot in a long time, but I like doing that one myself. And uh, maybe even visit other people's shows and streams. And speaking so. of that, uh, you can find me tomorrow. I'll be over at The Row Bison tomorrow, uh, Saturday. And that'll be a lot of fun. You can check us out if you would like. On our website, we have CoreyRosenProductions.com. That is C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N Productions.com. Over on Sunday, we will be having Kevin Gannon on. He is a member of Mo Blues, and he runs his own uh, nonprofit bedside musician, uh, musicians bedside manner, where they take musicians and they go out to nursing nursing homes and stuff like that to perform. That's for very the, nice for the elderly. Yeah, it's a really nice program that he's got going on there. And then this Thursday, I have Thomas Edmund coming on. He's a local Lancaster. Uh, our central PA-based musician, so that'll be a lot of fun to hear his music and his story. With all that said, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you guys later. Bye.